Children of the world, parents of the world, this is for you. I'm Rowena. And I'm April. We are best friends and moms to five young athletes and sisters to Olympic champions. We have a mission to inspire our kids and your kids through the stories of champions. Who am I? I am a champion. Who am I? I am a champion. Who am I? I am a champion. We've got an Olympic gold medalist in the house. KK Clark, also known as Caroline Clark, is an American water polo player who played for Team USA for four years. Previous to being on the Olympic team, she played for UCLA, where they were national champions. In 2016, she and her water polo team became Olympic champions in Rio de Janeiro. She is a huge advocate for mental health and is currently living in the Bay Area. Welcome, KK. KK, welcome. Thank you for giving us your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Uh, really looking forward to chatting with you guys. I think you might love the Olympics as much as I do. I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, you have champ in your blood, I read. I read that your aunt was part of the 1980 US Olympic swim team and your uncle was part of the 1984 and 80 water polo team. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So were they at all, I'm curious, a part of your journey to where you're at now? Yeah, definitely. I grew up with three girls in my family and then my cousins. I have three female cousins as well. So we were all just this, and we all grew up in the same town. So we were all water babies and doing everything together. My uncle is my mom's brother. And I think we all got into water polo because my eldest sister did a project on him in like sixth grade and kind of discovered water polo as a sport. And so then she sort of tried it out. And then once your big sister does something and she's your hero, you you all kind of follow suit. So he was definitely the inspiration for water polo. And then Mary Beth, she was a fantastic swimmer. Unfortunately, in 1980, the US actually boycotted. So she didn't get to compete, but her story and his story and their just seeing all the pictures on the walls at their house was something that, you know, not every kid probably has at their aunt and uncles. So it was definitely inspirational. Yeah. No, April and I talk about this all the time. Our kids, they get to grow up with Olympians and Olympic champs and it's just kind of normal to them. And I can't even imagine having that. I never knew anyone who actually went to the Olympics like face to face. So yeah, this is cool. Did it make you think like, oh yeah, they did it. I can do it. Yeah, I think there's a part of it that makes you feel like, oh, it's in my blood. Like it's something that I could probably like attain toward or dream about. And then my uncle actually coached me in water polo for a couple of years. And so as someone who had been there and won a medal, when he told me I was doing a good job or, you know, was giving me different sort of direction, just knowing that it came from someone who had been there and had that knowledge, obviously it carried a little bit more weight. So, but I do think just kind of the not subconscious, but just like, yeah, it's, it's normal. Like this is something we can do if we put our mind to it or, you know, those storybook lessons don't feel, they feel very real. Mm. So is that how you got into water polo or take us back to how that journey even began? Like how old were you? And I feel like water polo is not the kind of sport that most people think about when they're growing up. So how do you even get involved in that sport? Yeah, that's a good question. It is a small sport. It's kind of a niche sport. It's growing a little bit or a lot. I think it's a sport recognized by the high schools in Texas now, which is really exciting. But yeah, I think my eldest sister started playing and my middle sister started playing. I'm the youngest. 
And actually, my mom would get me out of school early to be the carpool dummy to go to the go to their games and watch. So I started my introduction to water polo was from the stands, just watching it, which gave me a little bit of a leg up because, admittedly, it is a challenging sport to understand if you don't know the rules. It's kind of like whistle heavy. There's two referees. It's pretty subjective. So being able to observe it and observe the rules and understand them before I played definitely gave me a leg up for when I started. And then I think I started, I might've gone to my first practice in seventh grade, but it was my last practice for a while. Cause I didn't know it was played in the deep end. And I cried my first practice. It was super challenging. It's really challenging physically. And I wanted nothing to do with it, but all my friends were playing. And the beauty of when I played and where I played is my sisters had friends and their friends that were playing had little sisters that were my age. So we kind of had this little community and that made going to practice more appealing. It was because my friends were there and I could hang out with them and, you know, beginning a sport at a young age, it was, and it should still be about having fun. And so there were practices that were fun, but I think I was definitely deterred at the beginning because you can't touch the bottom. (laughs) But it wasn't your first choice for a sport for a while, right? Like, no, tell us about that. Yeah, when I was, I mean, when I was young, I played every sport. So I learned how to swim, I did diving, springboard diving, soccer, basketball, all of that. And I really fell in love with horseback riding. I was a horse girl. So I loved it growing up. I finally asked my mom if I could take lessons. She agreed. Unfortunately, horseback riding is a little bit expensive. So I think my parents tried to like deter me from that. And so conveniently, they'd be like, oh, well, the car, we can't take you to the barn because we're taking your sisters to practice or there's no cars. And suddenly I had this incredible work ethic. I was like, well, I'll bike. And, you know, they're like, okay, well, I don't know if we can really do lessons. And I'd be like, it's okay. I'll just hang out. I'll just work at the barn. And I started working at the barn and in exchange, the trainer gave me lessons. So I think my parents were kind of like, whoa, this isn't a phase. She's really serious about this. And they did kind of step up and help me support that dream. And that really, I think, instilled my work ethics. I found something I loved and I was willing to like do whatever it took to just be around it. But it wasn't until high school, I sort of was looking at my future, looking at colleges and seeing what that path could look like. And also it was sort of a a fork in the road with, am I going to get serious about water polo or not? And ultimately at the time, and there still are now much more doors that would open for me at least with water polo. So it was really hard to step back from riding, but I think, you know, looking back, it definitely was the right choice for me. With water polo, the best schools to go to, it's a really California heavy sport. So all the UCs in California are amazing schools for water polo. Both my sisters went to UC Santa Barbara. I ended up going to UCLA, but there was just a lot more opportunity for my future in that. And I was able to kind of see that on my own, which was great, rather than my parents kind of like telling me. I kind of had to come to the come to the realization myself. And even through college, I was able to come back home and go to the barn and say hi to everyone and like ride a little bit. So I still have a fantastic relationship. Actually, fast forward to this is kind of off base. But when I was on the Olympic team, our coach did an exercise where we wrote a letter to a coach or a mentor. And I wrote mine to my writing trainer. And we didn't know it at the time. But after we wrote our letters, our coach and staff organized it so that we could read the letter to them in person. So my trainer drove all the way from a horse show in Palm Springs to our practice 
and I, she got to meet everyone. I got to read this letter to her and it was super emotional and she's just so excited. And I think one of my assistant coaches was like, you're the only one who wrote a letter to someone who wasn't a swim coach or a water polo coach. And I do think, you know, she's was integral in my growth as a, as a player. It gave me a lot of like perspective and, you know, I had something outside of water polo that I loved, which was great to have. How beautiful. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you that about the people in your life who helped you grow your vision for what was possible and believed in you. And it sounds like, was that horse riding coach, was she, was she that kind of person for you? She was someone who just expected like a a work ethic. I think she instilled Mm -hmm. that in me and to succeed in water polo, you have to have, you have to have that because it's just physically really challenging. But I had plenty of coaches on the water polo side as well. Like, I think there's certain pathways to the national team one being sort of this like Olympic pipeline. And the first time I ever tried out for my zone team in high school, I didn't make it. And then the next year I tried out and made that then sort of made the next level the same year and then ended up making a youth national team. And it was like my first sort of entry into any kind of national team experience. And there was a coach who like knew who I was, but he definitely took a risk on me by naming me to that team. So I think of like him, I think of my high school coach, my uncle, my sister coached me at one time, my college coach who ended up being my Olympic team coach. He's probably the biggest sort of like human that was ultimately a growth engine for me. He's the obvious choice. And he really is someone who made a huge mark on my life. But I think as far as being a young kid, and getting your first kind of understanding of working for something that you love and that you want so badly. She, yeah, she was she was probably that person. And mm-hmm. we're still great friends. Whenever I'm home, we visit. I visit the barn. And she, her and I just hit it off. So cool. So what about this coach that was this growth engine for you? What did he do right? Like what's, what's one thing that... Because we're going to have youth listening, but also coaches and parents and... Yeah, so... And you can, I mean, I, I think there's, he talks and there's some YouTubes with him out there. His name's Adam Krikorian. He was the coach at UCLA. He won a bunch of national championships there. And then he left after my freshman year where we won a national championship to coach the Olympic team. And prior to him getting onto the Olympic team as the coach, the U.S. had been historically very, very strong, but had yet to really win the gold medal. I think they had won two silvers and a bronze. And so he went over there and then obviously there's kind of a, with a new coach and a new leader, there's sort of a shakedown and he was able to kind of bring everyone together, all the veterans and all the new girls, and they won their first gold in London. And then I was on the team in Rio that he led to our second gold. And right now they're ranked number one. He'll be the coach in Tokyo as well. So he's just, he's probably the most competitive human on planet earth. And he has this really amazing process But some of the specifics, I mean, the training, like truly we have just innate confidence. It's like the easiest thing that we're prepared because we prepare so much and we work really, really hard in practice. He doesn't have favorites. He straight up told our gold medal team, obviously before we went to the Olympics, that he didn't care who who was going to be on that final roster. Like you could be the best player in the world. And he was like, I will find a way to get this team to a place to win with or without you. And I think he did that to inject just this competitiveness within the group. Because when you're kind of at this level, the degrees of improvement are so small. 
that if you have like one day or one week or one month of lost momentum, your competition is going to be right there. So it was pretty cutthroat, but it was just steady. And I just had a lot of trust in him. Obviously, I went to UCLA to play for him as well. So I was a believer in his method. But I do think that, I mean, it's proof is in the pudding. <laughs> like they, yeah. they should be one of the top teams, if not the top team in Tokyo. And the beautiful thing is he never actually talks about winning. He doesn't talk about the championship game. He doesn't talk about winning medals. He focuses on the process. And I don't talk about that that much because it's been so like ingrained in me, but he focuses on the how, like, how are we going to look in? What are the things we need to do to play the certain water polo we want to play at the Olympics, not to win a medal? So I think he kind Mm -hmm. of tries to take the pressure off because I think he truly does know like medals don't make the process. Medals don't fix everything. Like if you win a medal and you didn't have a good team camaraderie or a good experience getting through the adversity together, it doesn't feel any better. But if you win and you know that, you know, you kind of did it the right way and you stayed true to your goals and wherever you failed, you learned from it and all of that sort of fabric, it's all worth it at the end. So like when you're sacrificing so much of your time and your life to this thing with all these other people, you want it to be worth it. And he's kind of figured out how to manage that. Inspiring. So cool. You know what I love about your story is because I can relate (laughs) is that you have sisters that did the same sport. So because you, you know, obviously went on to win an Olympic gold medal, was that like tension between you guys or were they always supportive or what has that relationship kind of looked like? Yeah. I mean, by the time I was on the national team, cause I'm the youngest, they had kind of moved on with their lives from water polo. However, when we were in high school and the way that our ages are different. So my eldest sister, her and I never overlapped, but my middle sister and I did, she was only two years older than me. And in high school, she beat the crap out of me like all the time in practice. <laughs> and like, I have memories of playing board games and she would beat me pretty consistently. And then there'd be a, a game every now and then that I was one roll away from winning. Like I just had to roll the dice and I would just move my markers three spots or whatever and win. And as I'm getting it ready or right before I'm, I go or right after she goes and realizes the game's over, she would look at me and be like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of playing. I think I'm done. And she would walk away from the game. And so I wasn't able to like ever win. And honestly, that instilled like a huge competitive fire in me because I just like, I was like, no, I'm, I just won the game. But in high school, fast forward, she was physically better than me. And like, we would get in sort of tussles and she would crush me in college. We went to different colleges and we competed a couple times and I think we just tried not to guard each other because we would just get ejected. In water polo, you can get ejected for 30 seconds for like a hard foul. And I think strategically speaking, our coaches probably didn't want us to guard oh, each other. This makes me smile so much. <laughs> so it's not just boys. No, definitely not. Not if you share genetics and you're all really competitive. Like it's, yeah. Oh, so good. So gosh, That's actually, I love hearing this, that it's okay to be competitive. It's like this strength and to not crush it. That reminds me, I got, yeah, I've got very competitive little boys. I'm not going to crush it. I love this. So I mean, that's something I wrote down before our interview is just like, Mm. especially speaking to like a younger age group, 
competition is one of the most important things to, yeah. I think for just like, granted there's, you want it surrounded with the good parts of competition, right? The sportsmanship, the hard work, like you don't want there to be bad behavior surrounding it. But one of the biggest things our team had to focus on was avoiding complacency. And that was by highlighting how to compete with each other every day and compete with Mm. yourself. Yeah. So I feel like there is a bit of a culture of like shaming competitive kids or shaming competitive people. Did you ever get bullied for being good basically and trying hard and winning? Like, did you ever have experiences of that, of people tearing you down? I don't think I did. And I think that's probably one of the bigger differences between when I grew up in the, I was born in 1990. So the 90s and early 2000s and now probably, I mean, I I definitely, I played AYSL. That's kind of just a, I don't think I played that past middle school. And I'm trying to think of like playground. No, I mean, I remember I have a memory in elementary school, we were doing those, we were doing like a mile or one of those test runs or whatever. And I wanted to win so badly. And the boys and girls would do it at the same time that I sprinted. Basically, I I was like, I'll just sprint until I until I'm done with the race, not really realizing that your body can't sustain that kind of output unless you've trained. And I pulled both of my quads and I like I limped to the side I pulled I like didn't know like your body had a limit and I had to put those like peas ice packs on my legs and I was like really embarrassed and all my memories are just of like being pissed if I wasn't as good as the boys or you know having fun with my friends yeah and it kind of bums me out to hear that you know like if you're winning a bunch there's some sort of sort of backlash nowadays Well, this is no joke. I had a teacher conference. I think it was maybe two years ago and my son was doing really well. We were going over everything and then they're like, and then there's PE and he had like the worst grade he could possibly get in PE. And I'm like, that's weird. My kid's really athletic, but apparently it has nothing to do with that. And like in there, it said too competitive. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not talking to him about that. Like, what am I going (laughs) to like? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, no, actually, in third grade, third and fourth grade, my dad was my basketball coach. And we didn't lose a game all season. I think we were undefeated for like two seasons. And that was I was like, cool, we're the best team. Like I never heard. Granted, it was my dad was the coach. and Maybe I was like, protected from certain murmurings or whatever. But no, the goal was always to beat everybody. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, and you like weren't always the best, right? Like you had moments where you didn't make the varsity team or whatever. Talk to us about like how to deal with situations like that. And if you had anything that really helped you like just keep going, because I think some kids can be like, oh, I'm not good enough. And they kind of just think, oh, maybe this isn't for me. But you really took that and really kind of excelled from it, it seems like. Yeah, I think early on, if you can play all the sports you want to try out and you're curious about, that's the best time to do it. I think I've had some experience a couple of years ago coaching at a high school. And I realized in today's culture, there is a lot of pressure for high school coaches to win. And that trickles down to everybody. I mean, college obviously has pressure to win. That trickles down to high school, trickles down to club teams. And I don't remember club teams being as intense as they are now when I was coming up. So it's a lot harder nowadays at a young age to decide. I think there's a lot more pressure for kids to decide by like 11 or 12 that this is the sport they're going to do. And that's great if it's their passion, but careers are long. (laughs) Like to get to college or even through high school, 
burnout is a true threat. And I think, you know, the more people can obviously easier said than done, because like I said, coaches control playing time and control exposure and all these things. So it's, I don't know what it looks like in a perfect world. But the longer I think kids can just try new sports, the better they are later on, especially because you have more sports and skills to pull from and use in your creative outlet within the sport you end up choosing. Like horseback riding and water polo, okay, probably not a lot there that I can pull from horseback riding and do in water polo. But I remember watching basketball or even golf, like the mental side of golf, like reading books about golf and things like that. I was like, okay, I can put that somehow in water polo. And so I think the more exposure there is, the better. And injuries obviously can happen as well. If you're if you're doing something like rowing or water polo or something that's going to be kind of like the same repetition motion, you are at a higher risk for an injury later on. So I think those are all things to think about. But yeah, I was on JV for water polo in my high school for my freshman and sophomore seasons, which a lot of people are surprised to hear. And part of it was I was a late bloomer. Part of it, I was late to I was horseback riding. So I was a little bit late committing to water polo. Part of it was I was having a good time on JV. I actually wanted to quit after my freshman year. And my parents said, no, you have to play one more year. Like, we'll let you quit after your sophomore year. And I said, okay, because I had friends on the JV team. And then And that was important because if it was my world and my parents just agreed with everything I did, I might have quit after my freshman year because I didn't know that I needed that extra development or maybe they saw something that I didn't or coaches told them something that they weren't telling me. I have no idea. So I did need a little bit of that to continue. And then also we had a really strong high school team. So like there wasn't room for me on varsity because my older sister was on the team and all those girls. So there was a little bit of that at play as well. But yeah, I think what was important was just enjoying the JV experience and not being upset. I was on JV. Like it's kind of fun being better than other people. (laughs) Like if I was one of the stronger players on JV, like it was fun to try different moves or different plays and not have pressure on Friday night when, you know, you play the five o'clock game and the varsity teams on the seven o'clock game. Like it's okay to sit back and let your development happen naturally. And at the same time, if, you think you're ready for varsity and you express that and the coach gives you a challenge, like you have to be ready to take that challenge on and prove to people who may not believe in you that you have that work ethic. So it is a fine balance. Like not every sort of thing you don't agree with, you should look at as a challenge. You kind of have to pick, I think your battles and also know that you should be ready to back it up if you're willing to kind of express, you know, something that's not where you're at. I'm so glad that you mentioned that you did want to quit, but your parents wouldn't let you. I think that's a really big story. I know that was your story, right, April? And mm-hmm. we wouldn't be here without your mom saying no. <laughs> None of us would be. Yeah, I wanted to quit in, it was in middle school that I wanted to quit ski racing. And my thing that I was told was, you signed up for the beginning of the season, you you have to finish the season. And if I hadn't been told that, I wouldn't have kept ski racing. And yeah, I can't even imagine my life without ski racing. So I definitely think there's something to that. And kids need to, they need to learn to that when you commit to something, you don't just get the choice to stop in the middle of the season. You know, you got to at least finish it out. So, so awesome. Your parents did that for you. I mean, my parents did that for like sleepovers or play dates. Like if I had said, if I told someone I would go on a play date and then the next week I was like, I don't really want to, they'd be like, no, you're going. Like you told them you would, so you're going. Mm. And the same thing, I think for 
Oh, this was another thing. If I was too sick to go to school, then I was too sick to go horseback riding. Or if I didn't want to go to water polo practice because I was, you know, like scared or tired or whatever, and I was trying to get out of that, then if I was too sick for water polo practice, then I was too sick for school. So like you don't get to pick what you attend. If you're not 100%, then you don't get either. You don't get your cake and to eat it too, so to speak. Mm. I stalked you on Instagram a little bit and I just made me, it made me smile so much seeing how much love you have for the Olympic movement. And you said it's one of the coolest movements you've ever been a part of. And, you know, winning an Olympic gold medal, even though we talked about it's not all about winning, that was the one of the best days of your life. Tell us a little bit of those feelings inspire us, inspire our listeners who might be dreaming of being there. Yeah, I mean, I had a pretty unique journey to those moments and a long one. Obviously, I was on a quad for about four years. A quad is the four years prior to an Olympic Games. But every year prior to that led me there. I don't think my coach would disagree with me. I was like the last player to make the team. It was between me and another girl. And he was transparent with me and her from the beginning that we were bubble players. Like we were going to be role players uh, in college. I might've been like a leader and kind of a top scorer, like da, 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 da. But when you get on the Olympic team and everyone's the top scorer from multiple different teams from around the country, I kind of had to reinvent myself. I was much more defensive minded. That was my role on the team. And I was cut from the world championship team. I wasn't cut. I was just left off the roster. We would travel with 14 girls quite a lot and only 13 cap up for the tournaments. So in Russia, a year before the Olympics, I was, for the first time, I was the odd man out. And that affected me heavily. I was like, I'm, I had so many negative thoughts. I was like, what athlete or what player has been cut the, in my head, I was cut, cut the year for drama, for, for drama purposes, I was cut. <laughs> what player has been cut a year before the Olympics and made the Olympic team? Like you're out, you know, you've been passed. You don't have enough time to catch up and like make the Olympic team. The team went on to win gold at the world championships for the first time in like six or seven years, which all but like ruined me. I was like, clearly that's validated that this is the right group of girls and I'm not supposed to be on the team. Da, 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 da. And fortunately we had a sports psychologist that we worked with who I worked with closely and was able to kind of reframe that experience. And, you know, he had me write down all those negative thoughts and he's like, okay, what are you thinking? I shared with him. He's like, okay, what's, what's the opposite of that? Or like, what's the truth? I'm like, okay, actually I have a year to turn it around. You know, like this isn't a month before the Olympics. This is a whole year that doesn't feel like a lot of time, but it is plenty of time and practices and trainings to prove that I can respond the right way. And we kind of just, you know, I'm not enough. I blew it. Like we went through everything and kind of reframed it. And then we had a little bit of a break after the world championships before we came back. And I came back like a psycho athlete. I was, and and I had to kind of pull in a little bit there too, because effort doesn't always equal results, even in our own like physical capacity. So it wasn't like, I'm going to work hard and prove everyone. It was just like, how do you respond? How do you play smart? Like, what are you going to do? Started reading a lot more books about sports, things that weren't going to be taxing on me physically because water polo training was going to take that (laughs) all the way. But what can I surround myself with outside of practice that's going to help me sort of focus and feel good about continuing down this path with the reality being that maybe I don't make the Olympic team. Like, do I still want to set up for another year 
and not make this team at the end of it. And so I actually had to mentally get to a place where this whole experience and growth was going to be worth it, even if I'm not on that team. And so it was this liberating experience where I kind of just like submitted and accepted that that's not the end goal. The end goal is just to like go through this process with this girls and be the best teammate ever. And it wasn't until that was fully embodied that a month later when, or not a month later, a year later when he's naming the team, I ultimately made the team. It was, it was this really weird, like paradox, like the less I needed to be on that team, the better I played in practice because I felt more free and I had to focus on only what I could control, not what the other girl was doing or what, how the team was reacting to our different plays. But it was this full, just hyper-focused like exercise in understanding, like, I'm still probably (laughs) going through it, but just letting go and just trusting yourself, trusting the process, doing everything you can in your control to put yourself in a good position, but also understanding like there's more to water polo. You're more than that athlete. And honestly, it just let me play better in practice. And I executed in practice, which is where I needed to execute to make the team because I didn't get that many chances in games because I was a role player. And that was kind of just the biggest learning lesson for me. So for me being on that podium, it was just like, it was great, but I also understood that like it wasn't about being on the podium. It was about going through that whole journey mentally and physically with that group. And the best part about that story is the girl that I beat out, she came to Rio to watch us. And I remember visualizing me being in her position, what I, I was like, I would want just to be acknowledged. And after we won, I saw her in the stands and I just like, I, I wasn't even thinking. I just like went up to her hugged her. I put my medal over her head. We had like a little moment and we like texted a little bit later and she was like, that meant so much to me. And I was like, well, you mean so much to me. Like we've been through so much. I can't wait to cheer you on in Tokyo. And she later on, she's like, in that moment, I was like, there's no way I'm going to Tokyo. (laughs) And just this past week on Monday, she was named to the Tokyo team. So she's going to (laughs) be on the team in Tokyo. And she's been through like the ringer too, obviously. Like she's been on it for like eight eight years okay. sort of effort. What's and her name? Her name's Elise Williams. I think oh. she's number 12. I think she'll be You just 12. made me cry. Seriously, uh, that is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, and I texted her, I watched the team get named on Monday. I texted her. I was like, I'm so amped. Like I, in my dream world, I was going to be in Tokyo watching her. Obviously they're not letting us go and watch, but I'll be watching on TV and mm. yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, it was, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. And I'm so excited to watch her. So, so cool. I mean, to hear you just talk about how it really is the process. I think that's one of the things that we, you know, obviously try to instill in young athletes. That's what they hear all the time. And it's so hard for them to understand. And I just, I can put myself in their shoes too, because it is like, you can never understand, but we hear this over and over again, when we're talking to all these champions on this podcast. And it's always, that's always what people are talking about. It's not about the medal or the end game. It's always about the journey and, and the process of where you're going and knowing that that's what you're here for. And I talk to my kids about that even too, because I'm like, you know, you're not like, I have you signed up for these things, not for you to be the blah, 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 best in the world or whatever. I I just know that you're going to become the person that you need to become by doing this. So I love that you shared that. Yeah. And I think life after sport is for a lot of athletes, it's like really challenging. And I think it's challenging because 
there's no other thing in life that's like such a pure mechanism for you to get feedback on who you are as a person, how you're doing, how you're treating other people, your response to adversity, like everything else in life, you can kind of be like, okay, cool, whatever. But in sports, there's like, not always, but typically like a measurable outcome to something. And you can just, there's just like a room of mirrors, basically in sport, and you can learn so much. And I think we all like realize that when we step away from it, and we miss it. But there's also kind of a nice like, okay, there's so much more to life. <laughs> like I can also like enjoy these things and do this. And I can go somewhere on a Saturday or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, because sport is a commitment and there are sacrifices. Yeah, yeah. it absolute truth. What you spoke, I am hearing this real compassionate side of you that is so beautiful for an I'm not sure how common it is in athletes, truthfully. I want you to talk a little bit more for our listeners who maybe are involved with someone with mental health issues in their life. I know you have a story. I love how you talk about this and how it's helped you grow compassion and empathy. Yeah, I think, well, I'm the youngest of three. I'm an overthinker. All my teammates know that I think way too much and I think about other people and I think about how I feel and I'm a feeler. And so I've lived with these things like all throughout my life. And yeah, there's not, there's definitely certain types of athletes and some athletes are just kind of like one way, like very cutthroat, but it's been an interesting way to like life to navigate feeling all these things, but then also being super competitive. But yeah, back in 2008, my middle sister, she had a manic episode and that led her into the psych ward of the hospital where she was later diagnosed bipolar one. And it was the first time my family a had been exposed to anything of that nature and B had to respond to anything like that. So looking back, what was really cool to see was how my mom like threw herself in literature about mental health and bipolar and all the other kind of behavioral disorders and everything out there so that we could better understand my sister and what she was going through. And I think nowadays, today, it's really wonderful to see athletes kind of and celebrities and people and friends talk about mental health and all of that. But I mean, even in 2008, when she had that long stay, like, I don't think mental health is covered by insurance. Like the world is like pretty late to the game as far as mental health. And I think it's because you can't see it. Like when someone has an illness, like when someone breaks a leg, they have a cast. And so everyone on the outside is like, oh, that person's sick or that person's on the mend. But when you're dealing with mental health, granted, it's a lot, it can be more difficult to decipher in you know, plain day, but it's just harder. You can't see it. And even as the person who's going through it, like your brain can trick you. And so similar to like concussions, almost like as athletes, Mm -hmm. like you have teammates or you yourself go through something and like when your shoulder hurts or when you have any kind of injury, you're like, okay, that's my injury. This is what, how it feels in my body. But a concussion is so confusing because you're Mm -hmm. like, they're telling me my brain's bruised, but I'm still in it. Like it, it, it's harder. It's just harder to grasp. So she had this experience Fortunately, she had great doctors and had a longer stay in the hospital. She had my parents and her family to support her, which not everybody does through a mental illness. And that can be the first hurdle. And she was able to actually go back to UC Santa Barbara. Granted, she took about a year off. But she went back to UCSB. The coach kind of like welcomed her back in open arms. By no means was my sister at the level of like athlete that she was prior to her episode and kind of the consequential going on medication and things like that, that could affect 
your body by a lot. And so she wasn't, you know, in the same place she was prior as far as an athletic ability, but she got back to the team. She worked out with them. Like working out is so important in recovery from a mental health episode or mental illness episode. And I think it just made me more aware that whether it's someone going through something or someone's family or friend going through something that's affecting them. Like everyone kind of has like shadows of mental health and mental illness somewhere in their life. And so I just always try to find like the good in people. Like if, if I'm walking down the street and someone has road rage, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe something happened to them that day, or maybe they're going through a lot, or maybe that's their way of, you know, like coping with something. I just try not to take things personally, but you know, I've gone through my own sort of stuff as well, like whether it's depression after the Olympics or even in college, whether it's like situational or not. I remember in college, I had like a broken Vespa, a broken computer, and like my boyfriend had just broken up with me. And I was in like the worst place mentally. And I went and signed up for a therapist because, oh no, I went to the doc, I went to a doctor because I was sick. I think my immune system was down as well. And I was in the office with her and we were finishing up the checkup and she's like, is there anything else? And I just burst out crying. I like couldn't hold it in any longer. And she was like, it was wonderful. She like sat with me. We kind of talked some things out. She gave me a reference. And so I was going to this therapist, which I didn't have any shame about because my sister had gone through all that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I am number one person. Everyone should have a therapist because when you don't think you need a therapist is actually when you get a lot of the work done. Like when you feel like you need someone to talk to, it's because you're in this place that, yeah, you need that sound of warning. You need to get pulled out of it or you need to work through it. But when you think you're okay is probably the best time to sort of like face these things that maybe you need to deal with to be mm-hmm. healthier with your mind. Not to mention the mental, just the mental challenge that sport is in general. Like you're exhausted, you're competing with people, Like, how do I approach this mentally? Like, how do I compete with my best friends every day and like get along with everyone, but then also try to beat them? (laughs) It's just, there's a lot you're dealing with. But as far as the mental health, I think, you know, it's like every, I see it a lot, but everyone's going through something. And I think compassion is just kind of the best way to connect. And I love sharing my sister's story and my story because after I do almost every time I share it, something happens in my life where someone pops up and I either get a text, a call or a DM. And it's like, Hey, I know you've been through this. I'm actually going through this right now. Like how, like, what should I do? And I'm not a professional. I just kind of like give the resources like NAMI national Alliance on mental illness is a great resource. And there are some other foundations and things that I just try to point people to because things come up. And I think it's just, we're all human and we're all in this together, so to speak. But I think it's easy to judge. Like if seeing my sister during her manic episode, we laugh about it because she didn't hurt herself. She didn't hurt anyone else, but she was gone for three days and did really ridiculous things. Like wrote manifestos, gave them to people like, and we have this wonderful relationship with that story. But seeing, being like, what if I was on the other side of that and I was living my life and this girl was in this episode and I had no idea, you know, I would judge her and say she was acting a certain way. But really, she was in the middle of this life altering sort of experience that was not her fault. It just kind of like bipolar specifically comes on in your early 20s. If it's like, it's like a trigger, you you typically have it or you don't. 
and it shows itself some way or another. And so that was her time when it happened to her. But I think, you know, I think because of that, I'm just a little bit more sensitive when I see people in public or even not in public acting a certain way. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing. That is, I'm sure going to help so many people because like you said, it's so common. And the more that we can talk about it and just get kind of the word out there, that is so helpful. So, so appreciate you talking about that. Yeah. I mean, just a stigma that we got to keep kind of picking the ax at. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, we have already taken up so much of your time. I But we do have one more question before we stop, because we just love to ask everybody is what does champion mean to you? Okay, you did tell me you were going to ask me this. So I wrote it down because I wanted to give like the answer that I really think it means. And I think a champion means dedicating your spirit to a cause and working tirelessly through the unknown to achieve it. Wow, I love it. Nailed it. Oh, it's one of my favorite questions because I really feel like all the people we've interviewed so much, like it's just truth. Like when you, I had no idea that's what you were going to say. And when you said it, I was like, that's truth for her. I can tell. And we are so grateful that you just shared your heart and gosh, you're so smart and obviously hardworking and competitive. I love that about you. You've fired me up to celebrate that more in everyone that I know. I just think it's the coolest thing. I love your stories. And gosh, yeah, this raw and real and compassionate spirit. It's very inspiring, very inspiring. And our listeners, I know there's going to be, there'll be more than one, but for sure, there'll be one little soul out there that what you've shared is going to really sit with them for the rest of their lives and shape, mm-hmm. shape their life. And that, that's our goal here. So. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I have like two other things that popped up into my head. That yes, I please. Share with your audience yes. Is one, because I don't think I touched on it. Maybe I did a little bit. It's just the ability and the superpower that is reframing. So like <sighs> I learned it when I was really young, when I would have a nightmare And I would wake up and I wouldn't want to go to bed. I would finish the nightmare awake and I would finish it with a good ending. I'd be like, the clowns were really my friends and we were all clowns. Or like, I would just change it so I could go to bed and feel good about it. And I realized, I didn't know it at the time, but I I was doing this thing we call reframing is if you have a bad experience or a bad game or something that is negative to you, like it is a fun exercise to figure out how to turn that into a positive. And It doesn't maybe have to be like, it's good because, but how do you change that and change the way that you can relate to it so that you feel good about it? And then I just think that's an excellent tool for kids. And then the other thing is with the competitiveness, like I don't want kids to feel bad for winning. It's just like the person on the other side of maybe that win or that loss, they will succeed in something in life. They just, it, it might not be soccer or it might not be tennis or whatever. I was awful at tennis, by the way. I never won one tennis match. But I think just knowing like everyone has a story and everyone has the ability to succeed, like rocket ships succeed in something, just maybe it's not what you're doing that day, I think. Like there's no winners and losers. It's just like you're in different spheres. Oh, I love it. I mean, so good. You're a wise, wise woman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks again for coming today. And we're excited to talk to you again soon. Thank you, guys.
Okay, this is going to be a fun breakdown. KK was incredible, super surprising. I don't know why. I feel like we needed three more hours with her. She was so wise. I loved the very beginning where we talked about her heritage a little bit. And she did say, you know, she's got some Olympians in her family. And it made her feel like it was so attainable. And what I want our young listeners to hear from that is it doesn't matter whether you've got aunts or uncles who have done it before. We're all humans. We're all (laughs) in this together. And if you can believe that it's obtainable, even if you don't have that, you're already so far ahead of the game. And I I love that part of her story. I know it was, it's just so really incredible because when you have something like that, you do feel like, oh, wow, they could do it. I could do it because they don't feel like superhuman, right? Because you're like, oh, they're my family. I know them. And so just for everybody listening, just like you said, to just be like, okay, yeah, I might not have that in my family that I can just reference to all the time, but it doesn't mean that that is some superhuman person doing that, right? Like anybody has the chance to do it. And so you guys, you just, that's, it comes down to belief. You got to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she didn't even talk so much about her family members who were Olympians. She talked about these coaches and mentors in her life that really seemed to shape her work ethic really seemed to celebrate the competitiveness that she had inside of her. I love that, you know, the water polo coach she talked about that he was really into helping everyone just fight in a way to be the best versions of themselves. And yeah, it was this balance of like competitiveness, but he wasn't all about winning the gold medal. He was about the process and who you were becoming. And this is what we're hearing over and over and over again. This is a theme, (laughs) you guys. I loved that she's talked so much about celebrating the competitiveness because I believe that to my core. I think that you have to have, and you'll hear you, I feel the same way. Like we keep hearing all these people talk about like they just were really competitive. And it's so funny as a parent because I, you know, sometimes, especially our our older son, I can understand why people can be frustrated with that sometimes because sometimes even like playing a little board game, he will just do whatever he can and he gets so upset if he doesn't win that. And I just sometimes will be like, come on, it's just a board game. But that's how it was growing up too. Julia was the same way. She literally wouldn't even like she would get pissed. She still does if she loses to ping pong. Like it's so funny to see that competitiveness and taking like the positive from that and what you can do from that and just really like encouraging that like okay it's okay (laughs) let's let me teach you how to like not throw a fit if you lose but also like let's you know this it's good to be competitive yeah and it's actually good to lose did you hear when she got that winning the board game dangled in front of her but her sister took it away from her and then it just fueled her in her life that was probably a defining moment then and no one knew it and I think about my kids when they're fighting and I I yelled to my oldest just let him win, you know, when my youngest is throwing a tantrum. And now I'm like, Ooh, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. No way. (laughs) I know. Right. Well, then she did talk about that. She's like, you still have to have good sportsmanship and stuff too, but you do want to harness the competitiveness. And I just love that because it is hard because as a parent, sometimes you're just like, okay, fine. I'm just going to like, let's do the easy road. Let's not fight and stuff. But it's like, well, actually this is good for you guys. Yeah. Her story, her journey to the Olympics, I actually wished we dug in a little bit more in that. But just the nuggets I took was, number one, it wasn't like it was a given. She wasn't the best. She only just made it. And 
I love how she talked about the year before the Olympics where she got cut from the, the world championships team. It could have gone two ways. She literally could have just been like, I'm not worthy. I'm not made for this. She talked about all her negative self-talk, but instead she got the help from a sports psychologist and did this reframing that she talked about that is a superpower mindset trick that all of our champion tribe members need to learn for sure. Sounds like. I mean, that to me is everything, really. I mean, could you hear like all the negative self-talk she was doing to herself? And Shocking, if she hadn't, right? I know. And, and she then hadn't a year gotten, later. Yeah. <laughs> but if she champion. hadn't gotten that, that help, I don't know what would have happened because that sports psychologist really taught her how to turn those negative thoughts, that negative self-talk into something positive. And like you were saying, like the whole reframing thing. So focus on, you know, what you can control and reframing maybe a bad situation to making it good and how powerful those tools are to have in her belt for the future. And yeah, to see what ended up happening. I mean, that story, I literally had tears and I had chills and I was like, that was amazing. And to have it go on to where that teammate's now going to Tokyo, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to watch that. That's going to be so fun to watch. I know. Elise Williams, number 12, we're rooting for you. I believe she's going to bring home the gold with the team. I do. It's just, it's karma. It's going to happen. But isn't that also, you know, our listeners out there, we're going to talk a lot about mindset and superpowers and working hard, discipline, all this stuff. But I think what I loved most about KK's story is this real compassion that she had. She didn't talk a lot about gratitude, but I know in that moment when she won the gold medal with the USA team, she didn't speak it, but I know it was gratitude that she literally had the opportunity and she looked to her teammate that didn't get it in that moment. And I could tell she has this heart to pay it forward, which is so much the spirit of this podcast and this tribe we're building. It's like this ripple effect, this community of powerful minds and strong bodies with big hearts. And she's you literally just You literally just gave me chills all over again, just hearing you talk about that story. I just think that is so cool that she, that she did that. And, you know, just her talking about how realizing that it's not, it really is the process and the journey of who she became during all that. And even though in that moment when she was, she, as she calls it, cut from the team the year before was probably the hardest moment that she really ever had to experience. It really helped her become the person that she became. And so that's why we talk so much about this. Like when you have these defining moments and they feel like nothing can be worse than this situation that's happening in that moment, like, okay, well, actually this is the moment that's going to define me. So which path am I going to take right now? Am I going to do all the really horrible self-talk and go down that path and feel sorry for myself? Or am I going to get help, help have somebody help me figure out how to make this into a really good thing. And even if she hadn't made that next team, it sounds like she learned so many skills on how to get through it that she would have, I I mean, I don't know, she didn't necessarily say this, but it sounds like she would have had just as good of an experience if she hadn't made that team just because of that process, going through that process. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I feel the same way when she was talking, I, I just like I I believed her because I feel the same way now about my Olympic journey. I didn't have a dream to come last in the Olympics. Like I did, I had a dream to win a gold medal when I was a kid, but I didn't. What I learned, I have so much gratitude and you just can't 
you can't do that without a dream. You can't learn without a dream. So keep dreaming, young ones, <laughs> keep dreaming. And I, I loved how raw and real she was with just the mental health issues that her sister dealt with. And even she talked about herself, depression after the Olympics. I think this is a very normal thing. And it was a huge light bulb moment for me when she said, get help when you're not in your dark times, because that's when you can actually learn and get the tools and skills to deal with the hard times that will, well, they'll come for everyone at some point and that everyone just needs a therapist. I was like, Ooh, that's a good tip. KK. Yeah, I really, I really believe that. I think that it's, and that's, you know, why we are on such a mission with this project to get kind of the word out there on the, the mindset stuff when it comes to sports, because we always are looking at so many, like finding a strength coach and finding a specific coach for your sport. But how many people actually have, you know, mindset coaches or sports psychologists or psychologists in general and how important that is. And it's so cool that just people like her are able to talk about this so openly because it just helps it become more and more accepted, more and more normalized and make people realize that they're not the only ones out there that have had these experiences or these thoughts or whatever and and then how to deal with it. And just like she said, like get a therapist. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody should have one, you know? Yeah. We are having so much fun with this project. We hope you're enjoying listening in to We can't wait to share with you our next guest. Tune in to I Am A Champion next Monday. You're going to be surprised. Wow. KK had just some bombshells that she dropped. I was super surprised at the wisdom of this young champ. And tune in on Thursday to our athlete breakdown where you can hear these gold nuggets for yourself that will help you along your journey to self-mastery. Thank you so much for listening to I Am A Champion podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We are on all platforms and we really appreciate it. You can also find us on IG and TikTok at I Am A Champion podcast and YouTube at I Am A Champion. Until next time, remember you are all champions, leaving you with high fives, big hugs, and big belief. April and Rowena. Who am I? I am a champion.